I'm not like crazy gym guy, right? I'm not correcting anybody's yeah, you're not form crazy. or anything. You're not crazy. Yeah. Not you crazy. are not crazy. Right. Thank you. What's never ending to find the beginning that came before everything? Like kids with decoders discover the wonder in the go along to get along but it drives me nuts seeing people taking up the entire rack just to do like one of these magazine lifts where you it's now you sit on the ground with your back on the bench and then you have the bar across your waist and then you just hump the air oh yeah yeah it's like a has to be a butt exercise or something. Yeah, yeah. Is it but mostly old people doing it or is it like the no, youngs coming in youngs. working out? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's it's so annoying cuz you're taking up the whole thing and then they have like the the bars that I don't I can't remember what they're called but the one like the barbells that have just the fixed weight to them, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the rack of they're wide so they're not the small dumbbells or whatever. You're not doing, you know, more than like 110 pounds on it, which those go up to. So just go do that over there. Get away. (laughs) (laughs) But see, it's uh, being able to balance that bar across your lap and maintain control. That's all part of the technique that's really going to develop those muscles that they learn from their exercise magazine. I guess. You should just wait your turn, Eric. I do wait my turn. They <laughs> they come in pairs, so they talk to each other while they're scrolling Instagram for 20 minutes between sets. Oh, but, well, you need a spotter. See, if you had a spotter, then you'd have a chance to be, you know, get on, get in how there sooner. You, how would you spot that? <laughs> <laughs> I could think of a few ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I the other day, too, there was like, they also have... One rack has a squat bar on it, which I didn't realize. I thought it was just like an old bar that they had and they like, you know, bought some new ones, but didn't get enough or something. And uh, I was going to do all my stuff the other day, not bench, a leg and back day. Mm -hmm. And they had like the squat bar there, but I didn't... Again, didn't realize it was a squat bar, but it's like smooth. And if I'm doing, I'm going to do power cleans and uh, deadlifts and stuff. I want some grip to it. Right, right, right. So I went to switch it with like, they have some just regular bench press benches. And right when a guy was like walking up. And so I was like, oh, do you like care which one you have? Uh, Because I was looking to have like the grip. He was like, well, that's not for bench. That's for squat. And I'm just like. Okay, <laughs> well, watch me now power clean with a completely smooth bar. 
Did it slip out of your hands? Did you drop it onto your thigh as you tried to do that next level up? <laughs> yeah, I didn't didn't drop it, but it was slippery near the end. But man, haven't slipped a disc yet. So Justin is still waiting on that return. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's gonna have to keep waiting. You've got an amazingly strong back. I know your back <laughs> history. I have good form, I think. Not super deep on the squat, but that's because I got bad knees and mm. I'm tall. Right, right, right. You should do the leg press machine to get those knees up to your chest, you know. I do do the leg press. Can I tell you, uh, a couple weeks ago, up to 680 on the leg press machine. Look at that. Can you dunk yet? <laughs> have you gone no. out have you gone out to the schoolyards and seen if you could throw some down there is a park near us that has like eight basketball courts or i guess hoops um so four courts on it and every time i ride my bike by there i just think of machine taking his pictures but <laughs> yeah hell yeah um did, doing his uh did you were you ever able to like grab rim when you were younger yeah, yeah, I could grab rim with one hand. Look um, at you being all tall. Must be cool. I, <laughs> <laughs> but I still get the same feeling. Like, for some reason, uh, the rest of the friend group, um, except for TC, is all like 6'3", right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. I don't know how everybody grew to 6'3". It was, it's just all these Texas boys. You know, I'm I'm genetically inferior, as everyone knows, but all the rest of them, no, no. they they all they all got the right good Texas genes to grow tall. It was so weird growing up because my mom's kind of tall; she's like five nine, and my dad's six two, ish. And like growing up, they just kept telling me, "You're gonna be six three. You're gonna be six three, which is such a <laughs> weird thing to be. Like just telling a kid. So then when I, you know, peter off at six one, I was like, oh, okay. Well <laughs> that sucks. I mean, this is tall still, but I feel like I was, you know, ripped off. So like everybody in my family was not tall. My my dad's six feet tall, but my mom is five feet even. And my oh, wow. grandmother, my mom's mom, she was like four ten. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> And then on my dad's side, I do have like a tall grandmother. She's like 5'10 on my dad, my dad's mom. But my dad's dad is also only 5'10. They're like the same height. Um, but when I so when I was growing up, everyone would just keep telling me, oh, yeah, you know, even your dad, he's tall, but he didn't hit his growth spurt till, you know, like eighth grade. And he grew like a whole like a foot in a summer type of growth spurt. So I'm waiting around, waiting around. It's just not happening. I'm about to be a freshman in high school and I haven't broke five feet tall yet. And this is like getting starting to get worrisome. So they take me to the doctor, you know, the doctors at the time, they're like, you know, well, we got like this one type of uh, hormone booster that'll help them grow. But the catch is, is if we give it to them, it's only going to make them grow like a couple more inches from wherever they are when we give it to them. And that's it. That's where mm. they'll top out. If we wait and see, he might just grow taller on his own. He might just be a late bloomer. Should we wait and see or not? And like, you know, my parents agonized over the decision. Do we give him the do we give him the boost or not? They decided not to. 
And then like in the fall of my freshman year of high school, I grew like almost a foot. <laughs> so that there was like a that was a huge like, ah, thank God they didn't <laughs> they didn't give me the shot because I would have topped out at like five two instead of getting to five ten. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Growing it was, was scary. Like uh that that eighth grade year of playing sports, like I was good at sports. I could I was still very like athletically coordinated i could still do a lot of stuff and i was i was always pretty quick um Mm -hmm. but that was like the first real year of like just being dominated physically like on the soccer field and on base and in base baseball was like the most level playing field where i could still do a lot of stuff that was valuable to the team even though all the kids were bigger than me um Mm -hmm. but yeah soccer and basketball man those eighth grade years are really tough (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah we spoke about basketball last week but it was i had i didn't have i'm sure i probably shot up a few inches like over a summer or something but i think it was just kind of steady for me so it was it wasn't eventful <laughs> <laughs> we could tell because we had to wear school uniforms it was private school uh, and mm-hmm. like we had to go buy our uniforms from colwell and son here in dallas just like mm-hmm. a boutique clothier, like in the park cities, they custom make khaki pants for all the Highland Park people. But mm-hmm. that was like where our school's contract was for the uniforms. It means they're not cheap uniforms, you know, like yeah, nowadays, yeah. like when all the public schools started doing uniforms, now you can go get the uniform stuff at Walmart and Target, you know, it's right there. Yeah. It's cheap. Back then it wasn't like that. Um, and so like I got all my pants and stuff made for that school year and by like the end of September, (laughs) all of them were like four inch high waters on my legs and like, I couldn't (laughs) button them anymore. (laughs) My my parents were like, we're just going to have to milk, milk this out for a while because those were expensive school uniforms. You're just going to have to write it out. So my mom was letting the hem out. And uh, she was adding like a little elastic band and a slot in the back of my pants where she would like cut a slit in the waistband and add a little piece of elastic so that I could like button them and put a belt around. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, doing all the poor people stuff to make the clothes last a little bit longer. Yeah, that's it makes sense. I don't know what happened to me then. (laughs) Maybe I just bought clothes bigger or something. I don't know. Yeah, you're the that was another trick too. Um, or when we were little, you know, mom would buy like the Wrangler jeans, but like the size that were too long, and then you just have to cuff them for like mm-hmm. the first year you wore them until you finally grew <laughs> tall enough to not cuff them anymore. But by the time you stopped cuffing them, now they had holes all in their knees, and your mom had to put like the iron-on patches, denim patches over all the things to put patch them back together. And then sometimes yeah, we wouldn't have the money for like the iron on patches. So it would be just like leftover pieces of fabric or one of my old dad's old shirts that you just like cut a square out of and so on for the patches. So then you'd end up with some real, you know, raggedy Ann looking pants, just like <laughs> different like uh, scribs of different uh, pieces of cloth all, all sewn all over them. <laughs> That's a look now, though. I'm I know. Sure. Now it's a look. Now it's a look. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, <laughs> not so great when you walk into public school wearing being the patchy kid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my fashion at that age was more, uh, I've mentioned before, but, you know, a skin-tight 
uh, Spitfire shirt, uh, black studded belt, and uh, brown Dickies shorts. So you were incredibly fashionable. Uh, I guess. Um, but I remember being told over and over again that black doesn't go with brown. Um, I was just like, have you ever seen a German shepherd? Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it works fine. <laughs> it, it works every time. <clears throat> I, I, I've it's never a, minded that. It's a very pop punk look, I suppose. Like I get um, it from like a formal wear thing. Like if you're wearing a brown yeah. belt, you don't want to wear black shoes type of thing with your suit. But yeah. other than that, you know, I don't see how it's a problem. No, I think kids just want to be superior <laughs> to other kids. Not me. Never cared. Um, so I've, I've, I have an update on the mural. Uh, I quit. <laughs> you just, you got so fed up with doing those damn cranes that you just threw a whole bucket of turpentine on the wall and walked yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so last week, remember, which it's so weird to look back on this last week and be like, wow, Thursday is when I started actually creating some of the image because I spent those first two days just doing the base. And you've made sure uh, you haven't left any dry rags sitting on the edge of a bucket of paint thinner just in the middle of the room when you leave, right? You haven't right. done that, right? No, because that'll catch fire from the heat somehow. Yeah, yeah. It heats gotta, up while it You got to be careful. You got to be careful about that. Yeah, I don't have any paint thinner, so. Hey, I, got, I do have a little anecdote about heating things up in an evaporating state. It has to do with JWST and the Trappist system, but we can talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was debating whether or not to, or how I was going to use the chalk to draw on the wall and then kind of fill that in. Um, quickly learn chalk, not the best route. It is, it, it works. I drew out like a pagoda and then the maple leaves that are going on top of it. And that looked great. Started filling it in and realized, um, the chalk is going to smudge into this yellow paint. So now the paint is, mm. you know, <clears throat> slightly different color on the edges and everything. Or I wipe away this chalk and then what and was the point <laughs> smudged into the wall yeah, yeah. yeah. now i don't um, even know where the edge is where i'm supposed to be painting into yeah well i paint i like painted the inside of the maple leaves and then kind of wiped it away but now it's like an orange smudge so i gotta paint the base layer underneath it again oh yeah yeah to sharpen it up yeah which i was planning on doing to sharpen things up but not the whole swath in between leaves just kind mm -hmm. of like a little mm -hmm. trimming so i just gave myself more work to do but so what are you going to do next time pencil like a pencil trace no well if i can use the projector i'll just use the projector oh to give you the edges yeah yeah um which is uh giving me fits trying to line it up again for the second time <laughs> just because the the angle that the projector is at is not quite right, the right, same. Right. Um, and to have more of the detail stuff, I want to move the projector closer and then that's giving me a different distortion and stuff, which is, I all knew was going to happen, but... You got to um, set it up like a, um, like you set up your field instrument when you're surveying. 
Um, this, this, it's why I, I wondered if you were going to use one of those laser level systems. But th when you set up your instrument, like it has three different level bubbles on it. So it's got mm -hmm. the one looking down and it's got the horizontal one. And then it also has one at a 45. So then you can lock it. You triangulate those three levels in order to lock in the position of the instrument so that whenever you move the instrument to a new location and you lock that back in and you lock the instrument height, you can take shots of the same points from different places and then compare them with each other in order to create a topographic map. But the important thing is being able to lock the instrument in the same position so that you have a relative point base point to measure off of. So you got to figure out a I, way to add like some sort of le tape a level or a couple levels to your, uh, to your projector and then figure out how to put it on a tripod where you can make sure the base height is always the same. And then you can move it around and you can lock that yeah. in every time. Well, if by instrument you mean uh, the $45 projector that we <laughs> bought six years ago on Amazon <laughs> that is now on its side so that the image can cover the entire height of the wall <laughs> taped to the box it came in so that I can keep it vertically stable, uh, wedged in between the shelf and the top handle of my stepladder uh <laughs> then sure i'll this doesn't sound I'll like a re reliable theodolite height i mean that's what i'm saying <laughs> that's what i'm hearing yeah no i mean it's it's working totally fine like it, the pagoda is definitely gonna cause me to hate choosing to do this uh tomorrow but that's tomorrow uh <laughs> Yeah, today I'm just gonna be filling in some more leaves, doing some some trim on some snow. It's gonna be an easy day. Next, next yeah, I got time, got the cranes done. Next time, you're just going to uh, send your Photoshop image. Oh, dog fight! <laughs> did not like that. Can you get out? Why? Are you, why are you training your dogs to fight? It's weird, <laughs> Eric. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be doing that. We're cutting this part. <laughs> go, go. <laughs> they were they were having a good time and then Totoro just landed on Chibi wrong and Chibi has a very short fuse. <laughs> I'm not saying it's his uh his uh you know percentage of pitbull but that is a factor. It's it's just he's he's on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, the pitbull spectrum. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a, it's a spectrum for a reason. It's not right. just all or nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah, he now they're gonna break down the door behind you. <laughs> yeah, should have never let Totoro learn how to open doors. It's one of the biggest mistakes. You think it's uh, it's like people say with their labs, like letting them jump on them and stuff. Totoro. <laughs> Let me back in. This dog's kicking my ass out here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah look, cats can open doors and stuff too, but you don't have to teach them. It is funny though, like our our female cat, she's incredibly intelligent, but she is stupid when it comes to opening things. She only knows mm -hmm. how to open something if she can push, push it open. But, like, everything in the house is a pull, like the cabinet doors, the closet doors, you know, you got to pull. But our male cat, while he might be the 
the special boy of the family. He's the one who really understands pulling. <laughs> he opens all the cabinets and everything, and he'll Luis will be stuck trying to get into a closet because she doesn't like closed doors in the house, and he'll walk over and just pull underneath the door and open it for her so she can go in. <laughs> they did it. Which one of the... Oh, it was Chibi. And now Octo's joined us. They, they've taught each other how to open the door. Yeah, actually, Chibi does... So whenever we move into a new place and we open the doors, I swear to you, Totoro sits there and watches us open the doors so that he can <laughs> figure out how to do it. We have so many baby safety measures. Like, on the front door, the lock is like... We have a double lock, but the one's you know, one of them doesn't have the key on the outside. And I, I don't know how much information that is this too much information to give away. Is yeah. Now, now everyone's going to break in your house, but it's one of those locks. That's like, you know, you could hit it and it would unlock. Like it's, it's not loose, but it's just easy turning. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we got to have those like a baby. It's like a, it looks like a, a U turn sideways that you can put to hold the handle in place. Like oh. It, the handle won't go below okay. a certain point or above um, so that you can like press and move the thing out of the way so you can actually use the door. We got those. We have four baby gates so that we can keep them separated because aforementioned Chibi will fight over food. The dogs don't jump the gate. They're not hurdlers. They could jump the gate, but they have yet to jump the gate. Um, <laughs> when we were moving to Japan, like the, you know, Japan's rabies free. So all dogs have to have a rabies test and then they have to be essentially quarantined for six months. That's mm -hmm. what they call it. But you don't quarantine. You don't have to quarantine in the country. Um, other places are different. I think Australia... You have to wait six months, and then the dogs have to be quarantined no matter what for two weeks at the airport. Yeah, Hawaii's uh, like that too. Yeah, yeah. Hawaii, Guam, I think. Um, That's why you can't just bring your dog on vacation with you, because by the time that they would even be like halfway through their holding period, your vacation is over and you have to go home. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you just pick them up at the airport again. <laughs> um, and so we went and kept them with my mom uh up in denton and totoro figured out how to open the garage the door to the garage that was a knob ah. like he used two hands he kept one stable and then would just like paw with the other one to rotate it and then pin the location of the knob until it had just enough it to a release the latch it was a pull door too, so it's not even like he could do it and then just from the weight of oh, standing on the door. In. Yeah, he like knew how to do it and then back it up to open the door. Wow, it's a genius dog, yeah. and he's staring at me saying this. <laughs> it's like he knows I'm. What's going I'm, on? I'm. I'm just as clever as my namesake. Yeah, his actual namesake being Anubis. <laughs> He is the god of death. He loves death. He loves dead things. <laughs> uh, and then uh, walks must be the most fun. Yeah, well, they got muzzles now. <laughs> I should keep them from eating anything. You muzzle Do them? Do you know... 
Yeah, I, I had I, to. My my vision that that is the worst thing you can do to a dog from uh, Disney films like Lady and the Tramp and Fox and the Hound. You know, whenever the dogs get muzzled, that's like, oh man, he muzzled the dog. Like when Lady gets muzzled when they bring uh, the baby home. Do you ever watch Lady and the Tramp? Was that one of your favorite films? Uh, it probably was when I was a kid, but um, important to note, not a factual documentary. No, no, but because, you know, cats are way cooler than dogs, generally, like we've talked mm-hmm. about before, and they, they kind of mm-hmm. shit on cats in that movie. Right. Like, they're yeah, trying that's... to murder babies and stuff like that and then blame it on the dog. <sighs> Do cats not suffocate babies? <laughs> <laughs> uh so do you know the movie totoro yeah in fact like my, my um my young nephew elliot his uh birthday party is this weekend and the theme is totoro oh i'm gonna tell me how that she'll love that we got the uh we got the invitations last week have you ever seen the um the theory that that movie is about like totoro is the god of death the creature in the thing? No, I haven't seen it, but it would make sense. <laughs> because, and, and there's something too, like near the end of the movie, um, the, like after, so to spoil this movie from 1988. Yeah, I was going to say, it's been, I, I don't think I've seen it since I've been legally able to drink alcohol. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's been at okay. least 20 years for me. <laughs> it's it's essentially these kids move to the countryside um to get away from the city because their mom is sick in a hospital and uh the kids like play out in the forest kind of and then discover these like woodland creature kind of things. Um, like it's then- basically Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe. Uh, sure. It's it's essentially the same thing (laughs) with the overlaid Christianity and, uh, and it's not world war two and it's not world war two. No, it's after world war two. Um, but premiered, it was a double feature with grave of the fireflies when it came out, which is, um, also made by studio Ghibli. I would not say a child film. (laughs) It's, (laughs) It's it's good for kids to see, I think. Uh, but yeah, definitely about um, the effects of being firebombed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and dying of dysentery <laughs> and everything like that. Which is why uh, they sent the kids away to the countryside in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe so that they could be right. away from the firebombing of, of London and the cities during World War II. See, it all comes back. It all comes back. Um and near the end of the movie, so one of the little, the younger uh, sister goes missing and they find her shoe in a river. Um, so they're like, oh my God. And then it turns out to not be her shoe. But ah, uh, it's not Cinderella. After the older one then like cries out for the Totoro characters to help her and they come and help her, the kids no longer have shadows after that. So they're dead? They're implying s- that they spirit are spirit children. Dead. Yeah. Um, the act, the story that people are like, I think it's based on this story, which uh, Miyazaki, the um, 
the you know Studio Ghibli head, I believe director of Totoro, uh, he denies that it was written about this story. But apparently there was this, um, well, both of their names mean May, uh, and the May blues uh, are what like affects new students and new employees and stuff because they began working in April. And so they moved to a new area uh, in this rumor. There was a story of a, of two little girls that moved to the country in, I forget which prefecture, but it looks the same as in the movie, uh, My Neighbor Totoro. Mm-hmm. The little girl ended up drowning in a river, the youngest one. Uh, and then the oldest one refused to like accept that she had died and like kept talking to her like imaginarily. Okay. Um, and then ended up, uh, I think drowning herself in the river later. Um, so it's like, there's a lot of overlays (laughs) to the actual story. Yeah. Uh, Did you ever see the, the movie, the others that was the rip off of the, M. Night Shyamalan, I See Dead People movie? Yeah, I've, until you told me, I thought that movie was made by M. Night Shyamalan as well. <laughs> Maybe it's just one of those things where it's about the kids are still living in the house and they think they're being haunted, but it's really the kids are dead and they refuse to accept that they're dead. And the other people that they think are haunting them are actually the alive people living in the house. Yeah. It's a big twist. Is Nicole Kidman in that movie? Yeah, she's the she's the mom who's helping. She's also dead, but she's also she's doesn't want to believe it. And then she knows it, and then she's like trying to make sure her kids don't believe it, but her kids figure it out, and then they find out they're all dead. And because they and see their graves, they, they see their graves. Um, uh, I don't was think like- she killed them. I think it was. Uh, some disease. I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember now. Well, don't catch disease then. Yeah, especially back in the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. Seems like a real bad time to cut yourself. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're just out, like working in, like as a ranch hand out in Texas somewhere. If you uh, slice yourself pretty good with barbed wire uh, that's probably it <laughs> you get it oh you get God. a deep enough yeah. cut and you're just like well guess i'm just gonna have a nice nice bottle of whiskey here and maybe swallow my gun before i uh just die in a much more painful in uh crazy way where my mind i'm losing my brain yeah it i i Shudder to think of Lockjaw. <laughs> <laughs> just, just everyone with tetanus. <laughs> Always. I mean, like, there was nothing you could do to stop it back then. The- now you could, you can get a tetanus shot after stepping on a rusty nail, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- the biggest fear for me, if I was back then, would be syphilis. Just because syphilis was everywhere. It's like you don't have to be going to the whorehouse, you know, to be the person who gets syphilis. And so, like, lots of people by the time they were in their 20s had pretty much lost their mental faculties because of syphilis. 
Yeah. Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> he died of syphilis. I believe so. I'm I can't remember. I mean I know a lot of people had it. Um a lot of people had it worse too. Um, but yeah. Al Capone had it too, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Man, just and that was not that long ago. That was like what, nineteen eighty three? Al Capone. When did he die? <laughs> I think he, he died in the twenties, right? He was in the twenties, but he dies at Alcatraz, right? I think that's not till like know. the thirties or f- early forties when he dies. I'm not I can't remember. You go watch you go watch the movies and tell me what happened. The Untouchables? Yeah, and The Rock. I think The Untouchables was the first movie I put as a favorite movie of mine on Facebook. Oh, really? I I've asked I've asked Justin about doing an Untouchables tour of Chicago and he doesn't want to give me one. Why? I don't know. I think TC hasn't even seen the movie. <laughs> Wait. Uh, oh yeah, cuz it doesn't have computers in it. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, man, I got I never I haven't even been to the train station where the where the the baby carriage just goes down 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 during the shootout. That's so sad. It's Why really do sad. Do this to you. Yeah, I'm trying to find like that likes stuff. The I used to have quotes on here. Man, I'm sure this is riveting. It's very riveting. Sorry. Well, since we're a baseball show now, uh, what are you doing for opening day? I think. Um, well, I, I've already, I've obviously started drinking already. <laughs> just, just uh, Budweiser, like original Budweiser Tall Boys. You're not going lights. Opening day is for the hardcore Budweiser. Yeah, the red can with the American mm-hmm. flag on the it. The one where you get a headache immediately, like three quarters of the way through the first can. You're like, well, I might as well drink five more of these to make this headache last two days. Yeah, yeah, um, and then. Let's see. I've also started uh, my swing. Um, I've had my mitt wrapped up with belts holding onto a ball for the past eight months. You've been oiling it up intermittently, yeah. you know? Gotta yes, get, of course. Get out there and get the oil on it. Yeah, and spitting on it and everything. Rub um, a little tobacco which, juice in there. Why can't they just do that already before they put it in the store? Well, a lot of a lot of companies do now. Um, like Nocona here in Texas, uh, they they're known as like the glove is broken in. It's like ready to go, but it only gets more and more broken in as you use it. Um, and because you don't want it perfectly broken in, because part of that is going to kind of conform to your hand and the way that you close your hand inside the glove and stuff like that. Um, so you want it to like fit your palm and like your reach of your ring finger and all that type of thing. But, uh, it's much easier when the gloves totally broken in. I, the, the old days of being a kid and you get that like new Rawlings glove, like before the season and it was basically made out of porcelain. Like (laughs) you couldn't, you couldn't do anything with it. And if you like tried too hard, you could, you could hear like the leather crack like if it was there was balsa wood inside of the glove or something. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so what are you doing? Um, I don't think the Rangers game is on TV. I mean, it's on of course Bally's. Not. Why would it be? It's on Bally's, but no one gets Bally's. Um, 
and Bally's since they went ahead and are totally in bankruptcy and everything and have defaulted like it's only going to be around like maybe another month or two into the season before Major League Baseball like takes all the broadcasting rights and starts disseminating them individually somehow um so we'll just see like it's not going to be a forever problem probably for this whole season um but yeah it's Jacob deGrom day it's Jacob deGrom day Eric you know who Jacob deGrom is no idea well, you might like to think that Shohei Otani is the best pitcher in baseball, but I'm here to tell you that's not true. It's Jacob deGrom. Now, Jacob deGrom might not be the fielder or the hitter that Shohei Otani is, but Shohei would just would dream of a day when he could throw a slider and a fastball with the effortless power and precision as Jacob deGrom. And uh, how much power is that? Well, he's he effortlessly touches a hundred with his fastball every time. Like, doesn't even look like he's trying. Are you being sarcastic at all? I'm, I'm being absolutely sarcasm. sincere. He's act- that's <laughs> this is how fast that's how fast he throws every time, and it doesn't what even look ball. like he's trying. And he, he's not a big guy either. Like Shohei, he's like a big guy, and he's tall, so he's got like a lot of leverage. Jacob Degrom is not. He's very gaunt and scraggly looking <laughs> and it's from that frame and he does he d- he's not using a lot of like get tall and fall type of leverage to generate it so much of it is just the whip action of his arm coming from like a like a 45 degree angle a lot of it's in his shoulder just being able to rotate around his body as his hips really close out his his motion and he can right. really put a lot of force behind the baseball. It's just it's just perfectly synced up. Like a when you see a, just a human body, just naturally able to perfectly sync up the kinetic energy and then release it. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and so you're going to the game instead? No, 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 no. Well, see, the the Rangers totally overhauled this off season. They got Jacob Degrom. They got Nathan Eovaldi. Uh, Signed Andrew Heaney, you know, you know him from the Dodgers, big Dodgers fan. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, then you also got Jake Odorizzi, you got uh, Robbie Grossman. Um, you know, the team's real filled out, so everyone wants to go to this opening series. So it's pretty impossible to get a ticket. But also, we have this great, <laughs> this incredible, Arlington's the best. I just, I've, I think I've talked about how much I love Arlington and like, how they made their whole city just about uh, stadiums. Um, so this culture. weekend, which is opening day weekend for the Rangers and all the games are sold out, is also the uh, ultimate weekend for Taylor Swift in Dallas. She's playing three shows at Jerry World over the weekend, back to back to back, the same time as the Rangers are playing at the ballpark, which shares the same parking lots as Jerry World. And at the old Rangers ballpark, which is right next door to Jerry World and the new Rangers ballpark, the XFL Dallas Renegades, or maybe they're the Arlington Renegades now, but the XFL team is also playing, so you know that's going to be sold out. But yeah, they're all going on at the exact same time. And uh, knowing how much of a clusterfuck it is down there when it's just like a concert without the other events going on, I cannot imagine 
I cannot, I would not wish that hell upon my worst enemy, Greg Abbott. <laughs> like, I, the, the fact that they're having this and then they were doing just broadcast reports on the news being like, yeah, you know, it's going to be really tough. Uh, you should uh, maybe call your friends and do some ride sharing or plan where you're going to park. There's some parking lots that are even like two and three miles away from the stadium locations that are going to be filled up. So make sure you got a parking plan before you even head down this weekend. And, you know, no one can mention like, why not uh, take the bus to the game? Or why not everyone just pile on a train to get to the game to make it easier for all the congestion of cars and humanity that's going on? Or maybe you want to take the train to the Taylor Swift concert because you're going to get totally blasted with drugs and alcohol with your friends and you want to have a safe trip home so you could take the train home. And then you want to boost the economy there. And with you're like, oh, wait, sales. oh, wait, Arlington has no mass transit intentionally because Jerry Jones said, uh, no, no, I'm going to have my stadium here. We're not going to waste any dollars on getting people here on buses and trains. I want to capture all that parking lot money. Everyone's got to drive a car, <laughs> and I'm going to charge everyone over $100 to park their car. And I want to keep all that money tax-free, and the city doesn't get any cut of any of that parking revenue into perpetuity. So that's the deal, right? So that's the way it's always going to be. Very smart move. Um, yeah, it's it's such a weird, such a weird decision because it's like every, probably not every. I'm sure it's very similar in places like certain parts of Florida. I can't imagine Tampa having too robust of a mass transit. But isn't that kind of like the big deal with things like baseball and football and stuff is people go there and spend money at the stadium. Like how much that's it the whole only idea takes behind like Texas like three, Live, everything. Yeah, it takes three drinks to cover the cost of like a parking ticket, probably for like a baseball game. Right. Um, The baseball parking is cheaper than the jerry world parking but like i think the cheapest you can park now is for like 20 bucks 25 bucks okay then it takes like one beer <laughs> yeah yeah i think the beers are like 12 or 13 dollars probably for the top more of the top price beers is it like a is it like an under the table handshake um deal where they're like yeah we won't allow people to take buses here and they're definitely still going to drink so police you can arrest all these people and <laughs> they have like, like there they they have like the uh the deal where uh they have they allow ride sharing you know uber and lyft and stuff but it's impossible to like get in and out just as impossible as it is for you to get your parked car out of the thing after an event. That's how impossible it is to get the Uber driver in to close to where you are to pick you up and then leave the event. Um, right. So, and I'm sure people probably just turn those down. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, I'm not going to get stuck for two hours because you don't make like the price goes up over, the amount of time for those things. Oh yeah. But it's not the same as getting another ride. Right. And they like, when we went to the Garth concert this summer, we did the thing where we parked our cars at, 
uh, the burger place that's like a mile and a half away from the stadium. And then they had like shuttles that would take people from the burger place to the stadium. But even then, that was just impossible to get out of afterwards because all the cars leaving are blocking all the shuttle routes. And then uh, the same, like you're talking about drinking, like people were drinking a lot, of course, at a concert. And then when everyone's standing in line for these shuttles, we saw two different fights break out <laughs> just because people are drunk and bumping into each other and a girl accidentally stepped on another girl's shoes and they started going at it and then the boyfriends had to separate them you know it's just it's a it's an interesting time of uh of of debauchery and and violence yeah i there's too many videos of people <laughs> fighting after sports games i don't think i'm ever gonna go to another one <laughs> But you're good at fighting. I am, <laughs> but it, I don't care to. Like, I don't know. It just seems so annoying. Well, but in the event where there were like cops trying to direct traffic, the cops didn't really do anything to stop any of the fighting and the lines that were happening right next to them amongst people getting in fights, drunken brawls. So. Yeah, but you can't. You can't count on the cops not choosing to do something like yeah, they're they didn't just jump in the pile of humanity and start firing pepper spray and tasers at the at the at the pile. They decide to sometimes though, you know. Yeah. And that's the problem. I've seen Dallas Texas TV. <laughs> yeah, so it's DeGrom Day and it's going to be great. Maybe I'll get to watch it. TC said it might be on ESPN Plus, but I haven't checked that out yet. I don't know if it, that means it'll still be blacked out locally. Maybe. But either way, I'm going to listen on the radio. Well, what's been happening on online? I haven't seen social media in a while. Um, Everything's been great. You know, there, we stopped. We ended mass shootings. So there's been none. Okay. There's been none since the last time we talked. Um, did uh got you know, everyone just chilled out about the whole LGBTQ issue. It was, it, was really, it was really cool to see everyone just finally come together and be like, you know what, we don't really, we're not really mad about them. We're just trying to, you know, scrape back a little bit of power where we're feeling powerless here over on the right. So we needed to make a culture war, but you know what, it's just not working out. So can we all just be friends again? And it all worked out. It all, it all did work out. That's good to know. It's very uh, good to hear that it all it took was me not paying attention to things. Yeah, yeah. I, pe know, people were just tired of how you were just being so critical all the time. And once once they got you off their back, they were finally able to stop being reactionary and you know be proactive with their with their behaviors. It's funny because I haven't even been able to really look online at stuff. Which just makes me wonder how people who have like real jobs have time to look at stuff, which I think is not to blame people who have uh, jobs and spend their, it's not saying like you're lazy or something. It's just to point out um, you obviously don't need to be working eight hours, eight hours a day, <laughs> five days a week. <laughs> if you have time to look at Twitter, and time to tweet things other than just self-promotion, uh, which is what I'm doing. 
but follow me on Instagram. I'd rather that. Um, <laughs> then, you know, you need to understand the system is just built to keep you busy for no reason. Yeah, as long as you, as long as you have to strive to survive, you know, you got to be on that grind. Then uh, it's easy to stay ignorant to the uh, the major cultural and political issues of the day because you're just worried about your next paycheck. It's uh, it's a way to really keep a the masses compliant. <laughs> yeah, the Twitter is not real life is just such a you know beacon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, except for except for Elon, you know, it's 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 all real to him. Damn it. You know he's gonna have some kind of April Fool's thing, like some Reddit style. <laughs> it's gonna be like every time you retweet, it actually just likes his tweet. <laughs> your your whole feed is just different Elon tweets. You can't you can't see anything else that you follow. It's only him. I bet he's going to change his name to Elon Parody. <laughs> he's gonna have a bunch of parody accounts for himself. Yeah. You can never know which one's the real one. Right. <clears throat> um, so a little bit of fun that I had this week was I think everyone knows who Mike Soroy is. If you don't, that's kind of weird that you listen to us and you don't know who Mike Soroy is. But oh, you, if you're listening to this, go up to the URL, you know, uh bar and look after soundcloud.com slash uh and it's dragon brag. And that's the show that he used to host. Um, and that's the what turned into the blowout feed. So it was all his idea. Yeah. So in another one of his genius ideas, he uh, wrote some lyrics to a song for Rangers opening day and sort of a love letter to Mike Reiner and to Jacob deGrom. And uh, he sent them over to me and he was like, hey, uh, Got these ideas for some lyrics for a song. Um, I'd like it to go over the top of Nirvana's Dumb. And since you guys are in a Nirvana cover band, Oatmeal Pizza, and with my girlfriend, Christina Ray, could you please record this? And I was like, sure, this would be easy. So I thought, initially, I thought, oh, I'll just record the song without vocals and I'll send it to, give it to him. And then when he's on the air, he's going to sing his lyrics over the top for his song over the top of the audio that I give him. And he was like, no, I want you to sing it. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I'll do that. Um, so I did. And uh, we recorded it all. Christina did the, did the lead guitar cello part. Uh, Dick did his bass part. We got the drums in there. We recorded the whole thing. And they played it yesterday on the radio. And Mike Reiner right. actually enjoyed it. He didn't pan us or tell us we were shit so i thought you know it's only two minutes and 30 seconds long uh why not why not play it a little bit here so so here we go here's dumb slash jacob de he's not like them he's a godsend it's a new dawn and he is our light curveball is spun 100 on gun jacob de my grinder's happy My grinder's just happy My grinder's just happy My grinder's just happy 
Jesus were broke, but Jacob's the glue. So have a cocktail and some barbecue. When he takes the mound, the full screaming crowds, then you'll go down, and then the game's over. Then the game's over. Then the game's over. Then the game's over. Astros done in a sweep. Angels will pray because the cheap. Angels burn the money stuck. Mariners garbage truck. He's not like them. He's a godsend. It's a new dawn. He is our light, curveball is spun, 100 on gun. Jacob to Grom has made Ryder happy. Mike Ryder is happy. Mike Ryder is happy. Mike Ryder is happy. Jacob to Grom. Jacob to grow, 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 Jacob to grow. There it is. There's the song Ooh. we made. It was really fun doing it too, cause uh, like I had to just figure out with the equipment that I had here to try to figure out a way to make it sound as close to the original from the Nirvana record in utero as I could. So it was it was fun do, trying a few different tricks to make the stuff sound right, like it was recorded in a <laughs> in a big mansion in Minnesota in the middle of the winter. <laughs> but, <laughs> But I I think I did I think I got it pretty close to to how it how it sounds exactly on the record, um, just messing with stuff. It was a lot of fun. I, I'm I just love I love recording and mixing. <laughs> I would, it's it's my it makes me really OCD, um, and I'm not the most uh, attentive person to anyone else's uh, feelings or needs whenever I'm doing it. I'll I'll be down here in the cave just mixing, and I can go for like. 18 straight hours and not even like realize it type of thing um so it's it's not a great thing to do all the time for my marriage (laughs) 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 um but but yeah it's one of those things where i can just zone out and do it indefinitely and like i feel feel no adverse effects to myself personally just everyone around me does (laughs) (laughs) well at least reiner's happy yeah yeah so yeah, the the true genius was Mike Soroy coming up with those lyrics and how they fit exactly perfect with the song. Have you ever written parody songs? I'm sure you have, but yeah, I have. Um, the I've done a couple for um, Hang Zone Bad Radio. A couple of them, I they've haven't been parodies. They've been just funny songs that I wrote from scratch. Um, but yeah, I've done I've done a few. A few parodies. I did one for the blowout um, 
one million party that we had that was an original song about um our old friend harper who got too drunk at the party and lost his sandals and we had to help him find a what find his way home <laughs> <laughs> uh did he have a, a podcast on this thing yeah he did uh ptbnl with okay um uh the rangers podcast but i don't think they're doing right. it anymore or maybe they will now because the Rangers are good. It it got it got really uh really sad when every single <laughs> podcast every week was about how terrible everything was and there was no hope for the future. So maybe now that they're going to have a good season though, they'll, they'll get back on it. Yeah, and then they'll be picked up uh by a radio station. Right, right. P- picked up by iHeart, get their own studio. Yeah, when I went up to uh, the Freak a couple weeks ago to do the little acoustic performance before our first Oatmeal Pizza show, that's at the iHeart building, which used to be the Clear Channel building here in Dallas. But I guess because it's iHeart, they like, uh, you know, they're doing like broadcast radio out of there. Um, but also there's like a bunch of studios in there that people are just doing podcasts that then are like mm. syndicated across all iHeart media. So that was kind of interesting uh, environment where there's like real professional radio studios where people are just sitting in there doing a podcast. And that's not the, that's never like the picture in my mind when anyone's ever doing a podcast, whenever I'm listening to a podcast, like I picture them only doing it like we do it or even lower rent than we do. it. No. Yeah. But, but people who don't listen to podcasts think that's what podcasting is. Yeah, they think 100%. it's like a real fancy studio. Like it's all looks like Howard Stern show or something, you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um yeah, it's it's so strange and then I think people who only listen to things like The Daily or um like there's that iHeart one that I'm listening to that's what is it called? Oh, you sent it uh, to the me. Alphabet Boys. Yeah, Alphabet Boys. Yeah. Um, which is about the FBI's infiltration into the Black Lives Matter protests during the summer of 2020 in Denver. Um, I was I was I was waiting to see if they were going to add to it because there was a there's been a whole thing done on what happened in Dallas with the FBI during those protests and the a number of like planes they had that were just circling over the city that were just scraping yeah, all yeah. the data off of everyone's cell phone that was in downtown at the time. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's f- way wider spread. They're, of course, zeroing in on, like, like the person who's doing it, the reporter got uh, some some leaked, uh, like, FBI recordings, like the, the wired recordings mm-hmm. that their informant was doing. Um, so they have him talking to the FBI agents. They have him talking to people he was trying to string up with charges and all this kind of stuff. But Christ, can they not tell a story? It is <laughs> so annoying. Listen, I haven't listened to a podcast like that in years. Like probably the last one I tried was listening to the second season of Serial. Oh yeah. Um, I, I checked out on the second season. Yeah, of course, because it, it's I can't do that style where they're like they intro an episode and they're like, um, and Mickey is going to have a really bad lunch date. 
let me take you back a few months. And then they just, it's like, no, just tell me, just continue don't, where you We don't need the up. tease. We don't need the tease. Just give it to me like Dan Carlin would. <laughs> even, even with the tease, I can understand being like, okay, this is where we're going. But it's, it's like, it's like, okay, he's going to have a bad lunch date. Let's go back a few months to whenever he was dating this entirely different person. Um, and then let's get an interview with her. And then she's going to say, yeah, he was kind of creepy. Uh, he was really into Funko pops or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to spend, you know, 10 minutes, uh, interspersed with five minute ads every three minutes. Oh yeah. Uh, telling me about the type of vinyl that they use to make Funko pops. And then he, he at, you know, TGI Friday's. Uh, somebody spills their $1 fishbowl margarita on his Funko Pop box of, you know, Doctor Strange. Like, that's mm -hmm. drives me insane that that's how you're going to tell the story. It's, it's so actually interesting to be like, yeah, the FBI was doing all of this surveillance and trying to push people. Like, you know, there's these people that are... Uh, leading like the young dsa and all this kind of stuff um and the informant comes up to them and is like you know talking isn't going to get any work done we need violence and then they're like okay what do you have in mind he's like what if you go shoot the da and then they're like okay and then now he's like oh i got him where he wants to shoot the da yeah yeah <laughs> so it's like it's like after 9 11 um they had the one big case here in Dallas where the FBI, that was all over the news, they like busted this uh, terrorist who was going to try to blow up Fountain Place downtown and like do damage to the FBI building, one of the FBI buildings downtown. And uh, then it all, you know, eventually came out that he's basically just like a part-time homeless guy who the FBI kept like, yeah. you know, drumming him up you know over weeks and weeks and weeks building him up and then he's like never wanting to do anything he never went and like got weapons he never went and designed a bomb or anything just one one day the fbi finally was like okay you know they're pretending to be terrorists and they hand him like a nokia cell phone and they're like okay now when we tell you uh, if you're ready to go you got to press three or whatever on the cell phone and it'll detonate the bomb and you know they're all like amping him up to get him to do it and so then he presses the button and then nothing happens and then they arrest him <laughs> yeah yeah it's like what did you he wasn't he had no resources to actually do anything you didn't stop a terrorist plot you invented one then created a patsy and then say we got him <laughs> yeah it's such like a cheap escape room type deal that their entire job is yeah <laughs> it's crazy yeah it's it's but that's an interesting story to tell so just tell the story like i don't know yeah when i it's, went and saw um jad abumrad give a speech this was back like 2017 or so um and he was talking about like the invention of radio lab and like how they came up with the idea for the podcast and then his thing was um it was still early on in podcasting before everyone was just doing it kind of ubiquitously um but even then, they were very worried about 
the structure of the podcast and if it was going to either be too confusing or it was not going to convey the story that they wanted to convey because they were really all about like the production aspect of it you know producing it like a like it was a 60 minutes type of piece or something that would be on television you know yeah and so his thing was all the good podcasts you can draw on a napkin a visual representation for how the podcast flows beginning to end so like there'll be different ones but for like radio lab the idea was that it starts small like the topic starts small so if you were to draw two lines they would start very close to each other and then they would broaden out from each other and then at the end they go back small again so like every episode would be this start with a very simple idea and then we extrapolate out all the things you can extrapolate on that. And then we come back to where we started again. So every episode should kind of follow this form so that everyone knows what to expect when they get into the episode. And there's kind of like this narrative, this narrative journey that we can all go on together. And he's talked about a few others like This American Life has sort of like a two stage type of thing where they go big and then they stop and then they talk about another topic. And then they, at the end, they relate them both back to each other. Um, but the idea was that any good podcast, any good book, any good song, anything like that, you can draw out on a napkin what the what the formula is, what the timeline is of how that went out. And if it becomes too complicated to where you can't just easily visually represent it with a couple lines on a napkin, then you need to go back to the drawing board and rethink about how you're going to tell this because it's going to be too confusing to the audience. Yeah, that's that's like the type of podcast that you record in a radio station. Oh, yeah. Radio Lab is definitely a, a big production. Yeah. Um those those kinds i've i have like recorded not for myself i've produced podcasts in a place that has a actual studio that they were setting up for podcasting trying to get it off the ground um and then the pandemic hit mm -hmm. and uh the company went under kind of well you, you know if you ever want to add a lot of awesome production value to any of our podcasts just go back and break it up into tight segments add some really cool like music layering in and then uh add some real emphatic you know sound moments for when we're coming up with something you know revolutionary type of topics i'm told i'm all I for you doing that <laughs> yeah thanks <laughs> i can't imagine having the you you know me uh i cannot fake enthusiasm for anything <laughs> i can't imagine doing one of those those episodes where one person comes in it's like so josh i have i have something to show you have you ever heard of booberry <laughs> <laughs> you know uh and then He's having like, oh my God, I loved Blueberry when I was a kid. It was so good. Yeah. Like that kind of, I don't, <clears throat> and that's all of them to Well, me. did you like, know the dye in Blueberry? <laughs> right, yeah, something of like all that. The, of all the genetic malfunctions in children over the last 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, and then the guy who didn't know that he was bringing in Blueberry has most of the information yeah, for yeah, the episode. Yeah, somehow, yeah. <laughs> it's and then they, they edit. I know that there was pre-production. <laughs> when they go back and it's obvious they're reading like a quote from from the journal or from study that they're that they're doing, they're like, 
all of a sudden they're like in telephone voice, like they've they've edited that section to make their voice sound like they're talking through a different effect to give you the idea. Look, we're reading from the journal. It's like official. <laughs> yeah. And we're back to our regular voices where we're not reading from the journal anymore. Yeah. There's I have you ever done a fictional podcast? Um no. <laughs> what would would like like uh it's people are just like making up a story episodically type of thing like yeah yeah okay. yeah those are strange too uh usually poorly done but there's a lot of ad ads for those on iheart okay podcasts. yeah I'm, it might be cool to do one i mean maybe we just do an episode like a fictional episode one time where we do the old school um uh radio style bit war of the world style bit you know we like if someone's walking down the hall, we have like shoes and we're clanking them on the table and, you know, and then there's like a, a thunder and then we have to have to shake like a big poster board to make a thunder sound in the background. You know, we do all the live sound effects. Yeah. 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 Let's do it sometime. I'd be down to do um, an Orson Welles theater of the mind. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. We can come up with a story. We did do one of those back in high school in our AMAT class, our media technology class. We had to... We had to orchestrate like a 15-minute little segment with Jesus. the sound effects and everything. Old school radio 15 style. 15 minutes is kind of long, isn't it? It is long. But it goes really fast once you start to try to like write a story, even if it's just like a short story, you know, like two pages typed up or whatever. When you then have to like figure out where you're going to edit in sound and do all that stuff, it's it goes fast. It goes so quick. Why don't we reenact the yellow wallpaper? Okay, what's that one? Uh, it's an amazing short story. Um, I will send it to you. Okay. Why does the National Institute of Health have a PDF of the yellow wallpaper? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> That's very weird. Uh, I'll send you the text for it. All right. And to just make it an official podcast, the one science thing I have today was that, so we've talked about the Trappist system you know the closest uh system where we first observed exoplanets it's we've talked about that star it's only 40 light years away um but that's still really far to get to with the speed that we have and all this we talked about it a few months ago um Mm -hmm. so uh jwst is used it for its first observation of the actual atmospheric dynamics of exoplanets and so they first looked at trappist 1b which was the first planet that first exoplanet that was known in that system there's seven planets in the system um it's a very tiny red dwarf star uh, so all the planets orbit extremely close all the planets are closer to their star than mercury is to the sun but it's because the star is much smaller than the sun. The small the star is barely bigger than Jupiter mass-wise. It's about half of the heat intensity of the sun. Um, so the planets and everything could be a lot closer and still be like in the habitable zone of that star. Um, the first one they looked at was 1b, since that was the sort of first one that had been discovered in the system. And that was discovered using the old transit method where you looked at a star and whenever the planet would cross in front of the star in between the Earth and that star, that little speck of a planet going in front of the light of the star would cause the star's light to dim just slightly. 
And when that dimmed just slightly and you could you see that pattern repeating over and over again on an exact interval, you knew there was a planet orbiting that star that every time that planet would get in between us and the star, it would just cause it to dim a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's a cool way to discover stars. James Webb Telescope uses a methodology similar to that in order to measure the atmosphere and the heat and all the dynamics of the planets that are going around stars. So we talked transit method of you can see when the planet goes in front of the star. James Webb can see when the planet goes behind the star. It has special infrared cameras that can tell the moment when the planet goes behind the star. So it is measuring when the when the planet is not in front of the star or behind the star, when it's on the edges on either side of the star that the entire brightness of the system is just a little bit more because the planets have brightness too. So it's just Mm -hmm. a little bit more, and you can only tell with this very sensitive infrared camera that extra brightness that happens when the planet is on either side of the star, and that's what James Webb has. So by measuring that brightness and then measuring how bright the star is when the planet is behind the star you can get the difference between those two brightness factors and that tells you exactly what the temperature is on the surface of that planet. Um, The surface of the planet is about 450 degrees Fahrenheit. So not habitable. We also know that from this measurement that it is tidally locked like the moon is to Earth. Um, One side of it takes one full rotation of the planet as it orbits the star one time. So the same side of the planet is always facing the star. So one side is getting baked. The other side is in a permanent nighttime. Um, Knowing that temperature differential allows them to also know the atmospheric conditions. And at that temperature differential... Um, they know that the planet is just a dry rock. There is no atmosphere. There is no air. There is nothing. Because if there had been um, even just a little bit of air, the air would have dispersed the heat and wrapped some of that heat around to the dark side of the planet. And it would have, there would be a little bit more uniform, not totally uniform because it's still tidally locked, but you would have some heat exchange going around the planet. And that's not occurring. So... They know that it's just, it's like the moon. There's nothing. There's no, no atmosphere whatsoever on the planet. And that's probably because um, when you have really small red dwarf stars, even though they're very cool and they're tiny, during their early phases, they have extremely volatile flare events. Um, flares that are more powerful than anything our sun could ever do. And that happens a lot during the early part of its life. And so even any planet, even planets that would be far away, um, would have their entire atmospheres stripped away from them. Even if they had very strong magnetic fields to protect them, it would still just rip it away, like what happened with Mars. Um, So maybe some of the planets further out have a little bit better prospect for having an atmosphere and things like that, but so far... The first measurements of actual atmospheric conditions on a planet, exoplanet by James Webb, shows that TRAPPIST-1b, the initial darling of the exoplanet world, is just a rock with no atmosphere, no air, no nothing. So if it wasn't tidally locked, 
would it have been habitable possibly? Maybe it would still be in like the 400 degrees Fahrenheit okay. type of range temperature wise. Uh, you would have more distrib- distribution of the temperature. Right. Um, uh, and so you might have the dark, the, the side on the night would actually be warmer. And maybe if you could, per- you know, if you were an animal or a person, you could like stay walking on the planet to make sure you were always on the night side while it was rotating and that would you could survive a little while ba- basically um if you had no spacesuit and no nothing you would suffocate instantly and then you would burn <laughs> if you had a spacesuit and some kind of protection you would you could stand on the surface for a little bit before you would totally broil and all the things on your spacesuit would melt and you'd have trouble um but right Technically, if you had an atmosphere enclosed around your body, you could breathe and stand on the surface of that planet for a little while. Uh, So, we'll give it a so-so. Yeah. So, definitely, there's no Trisolarans coming from the Trappist system, or Trappist-1b. That's not their home planet. We know that for sure. Has Dan talked about the book? I heard him mention it. He's when mentioned he it a couple times. He book. has it. He's he's mentioned it in a way that he's like, Jake, you would really like it. And Jake's like, Yeah, but I hate sci-fi. And he's like, Yeah, but you like sci-fi. That's like more of a thought process on how it would actually be if aliens uh, interacted with Earth. You he, you know, he's always telling him, uh, You like to rival. <laughs> you should read. <laughs> you should read this book if you like to rival. <laughs> I would I would say it's kind of like a rival. You could say it's. Because there's so much of the politics involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I still need to... I haven't had time to read. I haven't been able to listen to the radio. I've been listening to podcasts, old podcasts. Went back and downloaded old IJBs just because I, I don't have internet where I'm working. You missed your old friends. They don't, they don't have a Wi-Fi signal for you? I'm sure they do, but I would feel bad just streaming stuff all day. You should you should embed somehow inside your mural like the uh, the Wi-Fi login credentials, so that everyone knows mm-hmm. how to get on the Wi-Fi when they go to the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Under my signature. Yeah, yeah. Or just make it make it like a big flag that's sticking out of the out of the building, you know, and it's just like waving in the wind, and it has the Wi-Fi credentials on it. Okay. Yeah, that, that would be artistic. Like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be something. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, so there's a paper that just came out about um, how that infrared system on James Webb works and how they use it to um, measure those things on the Trappist system. So if anyone's interested, there is a journal that just came out about it. And that's pretty cool. And the only other thing that I haven't looked into, that another journal that just came out on... Um, JWST imaging is on the um, the seahorse uh, galaxy, which is a hugely uh, gravitationally lensed c- cluster of galaxies that Hubble observed a long time ago. And James Webb now has the ability to use the Hubble data and go back and um, basically, like a detective, decode where all the gravitationally lensed galaxies in the background are coming around, and the the mass of galaxies clustered, and dark matter is so um, strong 
that not only are these galaxies lensed to where like the light is bending around them, so you see it like a like a sliver of a curved edge instead of like a spot of the galaxy. The gal- the light is bending back and forth in like a serpentine pattern from the past towards us so many times that some of the galaxies that you see are duplicates and triplicates of the same galaxy. The light is appearing in different spots as it's bending around all of this massive objects as it's coming towards us. So you see a sliver of it on one side and then completely on the other side of the image you see a sliver of it again and through the analysis that James Webb is able to do it can tell you that's the same galaxy appearing on two different two opposite sides of the image it's pretty crazy how does it how does that occur again so i know that massive objects pass in front of it so it bends the light with gravity but if the photons are traveling straight how does it get bent multiple times? How can you see a duplicate? It's always straight. So this is where the trampoline example of the Einstein um, view of space-time really comes into play. Whenever the ma- a massive object is sitting on the trampoline, right, it bends the trampoline down. But if the light's going in a straight line, it's always going in a straight line. Even if, But the surface of the trampoline is bent, like in a funnel shape. So a straight line right. on a curved surface is a curved line, but the line is still straight. If you take that line out and you and you look at it on in a flat 2D surface, it's a straight line no matter what. It's just I going around mean- all these all these dips in the space time and as the as it interacts with the dips in the trampoline, the line perceives to us to curve, but it's actually still going straight. It's just being navigating the dips in the trampoline. Yeah, but I guess I mean more how do we see duplicates of it? How does it how does light go left how does the same photon go left at one curve and right at another curve? It's it's uh you have to think of it as it's coming towards you. So as it's coming yeah. towards you, it passes one supermassive thing and it looks like that one bends to the left side of it. Then it's still coming towards you, and it comes up upon another massive thing in between you and it. And this time, the light seems to bend to the right side of that one. And then it comes onto the next supermassive thing that might be dark matter that's sitting there, not another galaxy or anything. And it has to bend around that one in a different way because of how that's situated in, the, in space-time. So as it, as it comes towards you, it's interacting with all of these different obstacles, and it moves those obstacles bend the light in different ways as it approaches those obstacles. So you're seeing it but at like different the, points in time. Yeah, exactly. So you're seeing it at different points in time, and if it's moving, shouldn't the photons that bent first have already passed by us where we can't see them anymore because the, the photons l- moved? So you're looking back. <laughs> this is where you're looking back in time. And as you're seeing the signal, you're seeing it at different moments where you were able to see it. So when it's on this one side of the image, it's at a different time than when you see it at the other side of the image. One's further in the past than the other is. You're seeing red, and it's also causing an additional amount of redshift, which also is how you know it's the same thing because you can tell it's the same piece of light shifted in a different part of the spectrum. So you're all, you're seeing not only is it at different spaces on the image, you're seeing it at different times. 
as it's layering towards you. Yeah, but it can only reach us once, right? <laughs> well, the light's coming always. All the, it's like a stream. You, that's where you got to think. It's not just a single. It's not just a single particle. It's also a wave of of this constant flow. It's not just one. It's not just one photon that got sent with the information, and you just get the one photon, and then it's gone. Yeah, but then then the star blows up. <laughs> yeah, and then eventually, if it's if the star blew up 13 billion years ago, 13 billion light years away, then after you'll see like the baby image of the star, and then in 13 billion years, you'll see the the blown up version of the star. <laughs> mm. Thinking maybe these paint fumes are affecting me. <laughs> it's not. They're not just sending you like a pole. The a photon is not a, like a Polaroid of a still shot that that's being like forwarded to you through time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a movie, and you're watching every frame of the movie as it gets to you, but every frame of the movie is another day later in time or another moment later in time. Uh huh. <laughs> I'll I'll think on this. I'll come back with some questions. Everybody think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody have a good time. Everybody love it. All right, man. Until next week. Bye.